This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at work? Love. Oh, and Love, he's got a real chance now. Peter and Love. John Walk will take the penalty. Up goes Dion Dublin. Unknown goal from Ruddock. Ball might break here for Kiwabia. Panister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce scores. Goal left. Hit left. Hit left over the top. It's now. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh and he has to. No. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin. Will he score? I am Chris Gold. Joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And some say he is still Ali Dyer's agent and is still chasing payment from that one week in 96-97. It is Michael Marden. Hello. Thank you for listening to these specials. This is the third one. We've already covered TV shows and computer games. Today we'll be covering the things we most miss about 90s football. But before that, I suppose it's simply correspondence. You've got mail. This is from Tom Sherrington, and this is going to lead to an episode. Dear Quickly Kevin, I enjoyed listening to your episodes related to Steve Bruce's crime trilogy and noted your interest in discovering other content from the 90s. I wonder if you've come across former Scotland manager Craig Brown's World Cup diary. Ooh. This is a, uh, available on YouTube. It provides a behind-the-scenes insight into the Scotland camp at France 98, including a seemingly unconvinced Craig Burley's infamous visit to a French unisex hairdresser. <laughs> I mean, that sounds great for the start. <laughs> the highlight for me, though, is hearing manager Craig Brown narrate through the final group game against Morocco, which ultimately led to Scotland's elimination. The footage the document uses does not seem to tally with the views Craig Brown expresses. His commentary of the first half notes, we had one or two chances, many of them inspired by Christian Daly. I'm not sure it's possible to inspire many of one or two. It appears the two chances consist of little more than two wayward crosses into the Morocco penalty area that were easily fended or, to use Craig words, cut out confidently. <laughs> it seems the manager gets a little carried away at this point by Scotland's supposed dominance, 
claiming his team built up almost incessant pressure. The clip used to illustrate this is a lengthy 23-second passage of play which culminates in a tame Gordon Jury shot from a fair distance out that is immediately blocked with ease by a Morocco defender. Frankly, I'm not sure its inclusion could be editorially justified. <laughs> Unfortunately, Scotland conceded shortly after this and were 1-0 down at the end of the first half. After a half-time team talk in which the manager's insistence that Scotland are a far, far better team. Craig Brown comments that Scotland have started the second half very well and again looked to be in a threatening position. Transpires from the footage, this comprised from having kickoff and aiming a hopeful long ball forward that ran straight through to the opposition keeper. Scotland were two down after 46 minutes. <laughs> Shortly after, Burley was sent off and the match ended 3-0. Scotland have not played in a major tournament since. <laughs> We have to watch that. Craig Brown's World Cup Diary. How did we not know that existed? It's amazing the things that slipped through the net. We've been looking to do this Swindon documentary, and there's a documentary from the World Cup on Craig Brown's Scotland team. So um, we will endeavour to cover that. Yeah. One more? Yeah. Are you aware of Thomas Ravelli, the Sweden goalie? Of course. Uh, this is from Dan Hunt. I know you're partial to some off-the-wall goalkeeper kits. I came across this 1980s beauty. It is 1980s, but he did play in the 90s. From two-time crystal ball winner, Thomas Ravelli. Perhaps the only time a goalie has ever worn a one-piece. <laughs> Puts Neville Southall's innovations to shame. Here it is. Thomas Ravelli's Swedish one-piece goalkeeper shirt that he wore in 19... What? What? Is that, hang on, it's like a shirt with a pair of Y-fronts knitted to the bottom. <laughs> it's like a sort of gymnast. What's the like, advantage? Like, like a leotard. What's the advantage of that? The shirt doesn't come loose. The shirt doesn't come up, I suppose. He's wearing shorts over the top, obviously. Because <laughs> it's cut like a, it's cut like what you'd describe as a, a woman's swimsuit. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to hear what it says on the website about it? Yeah. This website, footballshirtcollection.com. A rather unusual goalkeeper shirt that research reveals was worn by Swedish legendary netminder Thomas Ravelli in the World Cup qualifier versus Scotland at Hampden Park. Even though it was badged Adidas, it also has the Cup Star logo featured a rather fetching one-piece design incorporating an undercarriage. This was introduced to stop the shirt slipping out of his shorts while he was performing his customary acrobatic leaps. <laughs> this innovation was offered to various goalies in that period, including Peter Shilton, but it never really took off. Wow, wow. I can't imagine Shilts was in favour of that. Why did they have to write Netminder? I was just about to Why say Why can't that? you say goalkeeper? Well, what? I guess... Well, I suppose they've said goalkeeper earlier in the sentence. Netminder. Yeah, like, what, Net what are the other creative ways you could say goalkeeper? Shot stopper? Shot stopper, yeah, that's good. The uh, <laughs> usual address, guys. <laughs> what are your, you know, variations on the yeah. word goalkeeper? Mercurial post wrangler. <laughs> If you have any more uh, weird goalie shirts or uh, documentaries that we missed, this is how you get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. That brings us to our new... I was going to say now legendary, but we're recording this when the first two episodes have gone out, so we don't know. It might have been an absolute failure. <laughs> Uh, it is our new quiz. Do I like that? Oh, do I like that? So, yesterday we discussed what Janino's late night chocolate bar of choice would be. Michael won with Chomp. Today, I'm going to give you a footballer and a situation they are presented with. And I want you to tell me 
what their choice would be. One to five, Michael? Uh, three, please. Three. It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> Garth Crooks has not finished his Christmas shopping. He's in central London. He needs to get the main gift for Mrs. Crooks. What does he buy? What time? What? Sorry, what he's time? got hours. He's, he's got hours. time. He's got time in his hands. Okay. Okay, Michael, what are you going for? Uh, I think he's panicking. Yeah. I think he's a man who's not used to working under that kind of pressure. Time deadline. Do you think not. he's a good present buyer? Generally? No, I think he's notoriously bad, and I think he's got a track record which is informing his decision in a really bad way. Yeah. And I think he's made the classic mistake where at some point in history, someone has bought his wife a gift that she had to pretend she oh, liked. No. So he's latched onto that in a moment of desperation and he's gone, oh, she likes this. So he's gone to find another one of those. And I think what he's bought her is a novelty teapot. <laughs> and not just any novelty teapot. He's gone into like either Harrods or Selfridges and he's bought something. Wittards. Wittards. <laughs> A really expensive. It's almost like a diorama in like a tea. Right. Yeah. In, 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 <laughs> of what? Uh, it's a classy historical landscape, like a Turner-esque British yeah. uh, thatch cottage. With the roof. Yeah, yeah. The roof comes off the teapot. You know, the spout comes out yeah. the side. <laughs> it's a very. It's a big haul, it's, Michael. It's and it's a lot. We're talking. You know, this is two, three hundred pounds here. Yeah. Like he's not. He's not messing around. But then I think. But the time... On the way out, he's thought, oh, God, have I made the right choice? He's panicked, and he's walking through the book section. So he's also grabbed a book as, like, an extra gift. <laughs> but he's bought an Andy McNabb thriller. <laughs> so you're going with a teapot and an Andy McNabb. A novelty teapot and an Andy McNabb novel. I just think that's a very reasonable call. This is quite unbelievable. But before Michael started speaking, I had settled on what Garth Crook's gift would be. And it is made of porcelain. But let me let me <laughs> rewind. Right, let, me ex- let me show you my workings, right? When you like, I, I would disagree with you that Garth Crooks would panic. He absolutely wouldn't panic. Nothing could panic that man, especially not having to provide some sort of decent punditry. But when you think of Garth Crooks' house, I'm seeing this. It's a very gaudy affair. <laughs> He's got one of those cupboards with the windows, and there are yeah. a selection of plates in there. Yeah. Princess Diana, Prince Charles's wedding, I think, is celebrated yeah. on one of the memorial plates. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've got some uh, crystal swan is in there, yeah, yeah. and there's a, there is a lot of porcelain around his house. And Mrs. Crooks, she's keeping all this very clean, feather duster every day. Yeah. What is Garth Crooks going to get her? I think I think the Crooks family need this item in their house. He's gone down there to get one of those little porcelain dogs, <laughs> about three and a half foot high. Three and a half foot. Yeah, high. little collie. Yeah. Yeah. Like stood up, like just yeah. stood there, like to attention, and that collie's going in the corner of the living room. Oh, they're very, they're both very similar. That's good. They're both very yeah. good. And Joe Garth Crooks coming out of both of them quite badly. <laughs> <laughs> and he's driven up. He hasn't got the train. That that portion is going in the back. Has he got the it back, wrapped? Back of the, yeah. No, I think he'll wrap him. I think he's putting it in the passenger seat with a seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> Turning up at Steve Sedgley's house and pointing out and then driving off. Um, oh, it's a difficult choice to either of you. I think, I think though, because I really felt like I was at Garth Crooks's house when you described it, I'm going to give it with Scar. Oh. <laughs> Two ones to Scar. Yeah. If anyone's seen Garth Crooks's house, you know the address. If you've got any of your own, do I like that? You know the address. 
Now, the thing we missed the most from the 90s. Do you want to start, Chris? I will start. The thing I miss from the 90s is football grounds in the middle of houses, in really densely urban oh, housing area. Like housing area, like walking out of a football stadium and there is a house the other side of the road. Yeah. Then if you ever go to Main Road, Main Road yeah. is like in the middle of an estate. Yeah. Like all the roads, you would come through the houses and then suddenly there's a massive stand. Highbury, I have a vision. And I can't, like, in an older life, I can't imagine this was true. But walking to Highbury and going in the way end, and there being washing lines, like walking through an alley towards the turnstile, and there was, like, washing lines above your head. Yeah. That with the residents. I'm sure it happened. There's an amazing picture of, uh, I think it's the away end at the Vetch, Swansea's ground, or old ground. Oh, that was really in a residential area. And it was, you know, like, this is sort of semi-detached housing, I think. And there's that tiny, narrow gap that was, like, path for one person between mm. the houses and they had basically built the entrance for the away fans in there amazing like, if you go to Luton you go into the away end through a house so they, <laughs> they've built you're not like going through but it's like they've obviously had to buy the house houses that it backs onto so you wow. go in through the house <laughs> I don't know if that's still true, but that was in the late 90s. And, They're and still it, there, aren't they? And imagine trying to get planning permission now for a stadium that backs onto someone's garden. Yeah. Do you know what this all says is, this basically is the articulation of a team that have moved from Upton Park <laughs> to the Westfield. Well, final note on Upton Park. There used to be two blocks of flats that used to overlook Upton Park. And it was like the smaller stand would be behind these flats. So from the top of these flats, you would see every game, like a couple of guys huddled by the window in West Ham kids, enjoying the full game. Exeter had that. The- it always fascinates me, those people, though. Like, do you think they've rented that flat because they're a West Ham fan or an Exeter fan? No, I think it's neither of those. I don't think you'd rent that if you're an Exeter fan, because if you're a big enough Exeter fan, I think you... Um, I mean, we are in a built-up area here. That's why you can hear a dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you'd want to go to the game if it's a big enough thing to affect your house choice. Right. I think it's just... And I don't think I don't think they're watching it out of choice. I just think they're there and they're like, well, I, I might as well go upstairs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I might as well... There's a football match literally happening outside my window. I've got to kind of pay lip service and look at it. But if that was you, for instance, so let's just say we're here, we're in East London and we live close enough to, say, Leighton Orient to watch it. How many matches do you think you're watching before you're like, like, no, like I'm, I'm over this. I'm if done. you went home tonight and Leighton Orient had an evening game and you could watch it from your window, would you watch it? I Absolutely. Would, yeah, but then how many games over the course of a season would you watch there are some weeks when I get back and I can't be bothered what's the Champions League like, <laughs> am I really going to watch Leighton Orient from a distance well you know um, when Barry Hearn owned Leighton Orient he he sold he built flats into the stand yeah. and sold the flats so like part of the flat was you could watch Leighton Orient play I mean how I much would is love that it. adding to the value I would love to go upstairs and look out the back the bedroom window and watch a game of football like, of a good stand. Do you know anyone who has lived in one of those houses? Have you lived in one of those houses? Do you live in one of those houses? Do you live in one of those houses? We'd absolutely love to know. Michael. Okay, so for the thing that I miss about 90s football, I have gone for uh, squad numbers that correlate to player position. Lovely. I agree with this wholeheartedly. Now, it is a bit sort of old man yelling at clouds, but whenever I play football manager now I insist regardless of what the player wants as their specific number I insist that my players the right back wears number two yeah. left back wears number three yeah. centre backs four and five 
My backup right back wears number twelve. My backup left back wears number thirteen. Mm. My my youth player. Not sure about that. Yeah. Would, mm, well, reserve we'll goalie thirteen. No, no, no. Reserve goalie fifty, and then if I've got another goalie, fifty. Yeah, forty nine. What do you mean about your traditional numbers? This, this is, is not ninety. Your traditional numbers. <laughs> What's your reserve left back? What number is he wearing? Fifteen, isn't it? No, because, because your centre back. I always go number 12 would be my next best striker. No. And then number 13. No, no, be... I have to have the symmetry. 12, 12 is the right back, 13 all the way up. Goalkeepers are an anomaly. Oh, my word. I think you've undermined it by bringing your own system. So <laughs> you're missing something that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Notable exception to that rule in the 90s uh, Zamorano at Inter Milan, because obviously he famously wore number nine and then they signed Baggio. People think that when they signed Ronaldo, he lost his number, but actually. Ronaldo played for a season with number 10 at Inter when they signed Baggio he got 10 because that was his number Ronaldo took 9 so Zamorano had to have 1 plus 8 that's, that's, unless there's a specific backstory also that's Ronaldo, the only Zamorano at that point he knows his place in the pecking order yeah. <laughs> you're really trying to fight the tide if you're, if you're doing 1 plus 8 on your back I would even go as far as to say Cruyff at the World Cup you're not getting 14 mate sorry I, well, you, yeah, you're too busy giving it to your sweeper. Or something. Um, <laughs> My backup centre back. Your backup centre back. I think um, I find it difficult. Have you ever played Championship Manager with someone like 97, 98, where you just you move your players around throughout the city and they just start switching their numbers? Right? So the numbers oh, are all over the shop. Absolutely. I like things to be tidy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I miss. And it's a bit, it's similar on grounds. You've gone with grounds in uh, built up areas. I'm going to go with uncovered terracing oh lovely I was watching the other day a thing called football years and it um, uncovered terracing you you associate with like lower league football they had it was like 96 or something and they had clips of the Champions League final Borussia Dortmund against Juventus that was around that time anyway and it was played I don't know where it was played the whole stadium I could see seemed uncovered because it was in a sunny country. Yeah. You never get that now. At Plymouth, the Barn Park end, the away end, absolutely no... It was just a slope. That is all it was. It was a slope with a refreshment bar on it. And when it rained, they had to bring the away fans into the grandstand because they didn't have a roof on it. <laughs> it was so good. So mad that you think... That, that stand existed at the same time as the Millennium Stadium had a roof over the pitch. That's... <laughs> It's amazing the difference that you can have in two stadiums that exist at the same time in essentially the same kind of footballing world. I also think the advantage of not having a roof was in those days you used to, you don't have that now because you've got all these cantilever stands or whatever. The problem with the pillars was insane in the 90s. Yeah. There was a pillar at Plymouth in the Linter stand where there was a seat that obviously no one would sit in normally if it sold out. You're basically straddling the pillar. <laughs> You'd basically be straddling the pillar like like you're kind of spooning it and you'd have to like swing I've never like an elongated to... fireman's pole yeah uh, yeah and you'd have <laughs> to look either side depending on where the ball probably actually better than being further away because this way you're in total control of where you can sit <laughs> yeah the guy a couple back he's, he's yeah done. he's struggling but if you were in a stand with no roof I remember you know you go to the away end in Torquay it didn't have a roof at the time the away end in Exeter I remember those away games no roof so it's, it was a, it was just a much more romantic time for stadiums to look like that before they but all was became. It? Was it uh, well? Not that I want to knock a couple of points off Josh, but you can go to the Camp Nou now. That doesn't have a, a roof. 
Yeah, that's it's true. Not fully, it's not fully covered, you know? It's sunny. Yeah. <laughs> it is mainly roof. You want, it has to be raining. You are, It has to be raining and it has to be against the elements. You know, the stadiums now, Plymouth are just they're completing the final stand after doing the first three stands about 10 years ago. But it's just going to look like Blackpool's in green. Do you know what I mean? It's just going to look like... Middlesbrough, the Riverside. Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just boring. They're, they're so boring, the stadiums now. I know they're better. I know you don't have to piss in a trough. And I'm not like that kind of, you know, nostalgic for when you could only buy awful pies or whatever. But there's something about the character of... Home Park had an away end with no covering, then a seated area, small corner with standing no covering, end with standing covering, and then a family stand, and then an old rickety wooden grandstand. You're like, there's like 60 years of different levels of stand in one ground. You just <laughs> yeah. don't get that anymore. Maybe that's what I miss more. Let's change it to mix and match football stadiums. <laughs> football stadiums where you could see it was built over time as they could afford to add bits to it, and they just shove different bits in at yeah. different times. I'm a, I'm a real big fan of that. Okay, they are our three options. I like the fact that we sometimes change them as we go along. <laughs> uh, so... Do you miss mix and match football stadiums, football stadiums and built up areas, or squad numbers correlating to Michael's views on position? <laughs> His jilted views on where positions. I'm going to make one more last ditch pitch for that yeah. as the winner. A little, little fact when I was researching this, I, I forgot to say. The Argentina team in the 1978 World Cup, they allocated player number, squad numbers yeah. alphabetically. Like, so Ozzy Ardiles wore number one for that World Cup because That's his mad. surname was A. That's just absolute carnage. I simply cannot get on board with an outfield player being number one. Absolutely unacceptable. I saw recently, I genuinely saw a a fan with a replica shirt and he had clearly his name on the back with a number one. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Absolutely. Was he a a goalkeeper? No, it was an an outfield shirt. Uh, I mean, that, no. No, no. Unacceptable on every level. What do you miss the most from the 90s? And that's going to be one where we'll just have to pick our favourite because I imagine we won't have a ground sort of opinion in one area. Yeah. So pick our favourite, add it to the vote. You know how to do it now. It's on Twitter. Yes. And I may ask for one supplementary poll. What should, is number 13 a sub goalkeeper or as Michael seems to think, was it a left back? Madness. I just want to see how on our Twitter and I want you all to vote on that. I just want to see how much of a landslide this will be. I'm going to pay some bot accounts (laughs) to vote in my favour. Now, Michael, the quiz. Yeah, so you know how it works. At the end of each episode, Chris and Josh play each other in a 90s football-based quiz to decide who picks the song that plays out at the end of the show. Now, for this episode, uh, it was my birthday recently, uh, and I, depending on when you listen to this, I was given for my birthday a, a Match of the Day quiz book. 3,000 questions from the classic era of the modern game. Forward by Gary Lineker. Forward by Gary Lineker. I remember once on I Think It's All Over, and it, this sticks with me as one of the greatest bits of a panel show I've ever seen. They drew on points, so it went to a tie break, which seems mad now, as if anyone would care in a panel show. And the tie break was that they asked Gary Lineker a question from Gary Lineker's football quiz book. (laughs) (laughs) And Lineker, it sticks with me. He said, yeah, I wrote the questions, not the answers. And I thought, that is one of the great ad-libs of all time. Lovely. Um, Okay, so what's the question, Michael? Okay, so I want... I, do you know what? I'm going to pick one of the topics, 90s-based topics, because obviously this covers yeah. a lot of ground. And then I'm going to ask you guys a question in turn. Sudden death. So I'm going to pick randomly. Uh, I'm going to pick the 98-99 season. 
Uh, the answer is uh, the trouble. <laughs> It'd be fun to give the answers and got to guess yeah. what the question is. Oh, fine, Jeopardy. <laughs> it's surprisingly hairy. <laughs> uh, Danny Bear. Okay. <laughs> okay, to avoid any of those comedy answers coming up, I'm going to switch it to the 99-2000 season, which technically is outside of our remit, but tough. Sudden death. One question each. Uh, last man standing. Who would like to go first? Me. Chris? It's 2-0 up. Josh, are you happy with that? Yeah. Okay, question one. Who became the fifth full-time presenter of Match of the Day after Desmond Lynham moved to ITV? You've got to be kidding me. Well, uh, Gary, Gary Lineker, is that too obvious? Correct. Unbelievable. <laughs> Josh, your question. There was wide condemnation of Manchester oh, United wow. when, despite being the holders, they withdrew from the FA Cup in order to take part in which event? Uh, it was the World Club Championship or whatever it would be called in that situation. Correct, the World Club Competition. Okay, uh, Chris, your next question. Bobby Robson returned to England to manage Newcastle United. Which side had he been managing in Europe? Oh, he's going he's to absolutely blow this because I don't know it either. Love it. Immediately before it's Newcastle. Just payback for getting the easy Lineker question. Uh, it's... Um, it's one of two, isn't it? I'm gonna... No, it can't be. I've got a name in my head. I think it was PSV. The correct answer Barcelona. was PSV. Oh! Okay, Josh. Which Norwegian striker scored a hat-trick when Tottenham Hotspur beat Southampton 7-2? Stefan Evenson? Evenson. Correct. Chris? Arsenal sold Nicholas Anelka for £23 million, a record fee involving a British club. Who did he sign for? Real Madrid. Correct. This is the worst birthday present ever. <laughs> Josh. Manchester United won the Premier League for the sixth time in eight seasons. How many points were they ahead of second-placed Arsenal? That's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, one? I mean, the, the jump up in difficulty there is yeah. insane. <laughs> You saying one? I mean, I might as well. The correct answer was eighteen. How are you uh, gonna get that? <laughs> it was eighteen. It's so obvious. Oh, skull! Congrats, skull. three nil up. This is a route. A route. So, what song are you gonna pick to play out at the end of the show? Well, seeing as we drifted into the ninety nine two thousand season, there, can I have England's European Championship two thousand song? I don't even know what that would have been. I'll find out, and here it is. Let's just drop it in. Great. Okay, that's it. We'll see you again tomorrow for another episode in which we will be tackling the subject of footballing memorabilia. Until then. And did those feet in ancient times walk upon England's mountains green?
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.